Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Judging other people. It's so much fun, isn't it? Uh, we do it all the time. What a terrible driver. Did you see what she was wearing? I can't believe they voted for the Greens. They really should learn how to control their children. We kind of love to judge, don't we? It's second nature to us all. But we do have a love-hate relationship with this judging thing, don't we? That is, we love to judge, but we all hate being judged. Don't judge me. That could just about be the anthem for our age, couldn't it? Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? Each to their own. Well, not hurting anybody else. Whatever makes you happy. And who are you to tell me how to live my life? And that's how it goes, doesn't it? We prize our freedom to choose. Our freedom, well, to be free of other people's judgment of us. But we love to judge, but we hate to be judged. And so hopefully Jesus can sort this mess out for us. He'll bring some sensible balance into this permissive, self-justifying world that we live in. And we get to verse 1 of chapter 7, and what does Jesus say? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I can almost hear our world breathing a big sigh of relief. That seems exactly like what our culture would want to hear at the moment. Jesus seems to agree. No one is allowed to question you over your life choices. It's like we've all got this great big permission slip signed by Jesus to do what we want. After all, who are you to judge? But it would seem strange, wouldn't it, for Jesus to kind of go with our cultural flow on this one when everything else he's had to say up until this point, seems to rub our world up the wrong way. So what does Jesus mean when he tells us not to judge? Does he really mean that I'm not allowed to form a negative opinion about someone, well, let's say, involved in 
child slavery? Surely not. Well, firstly, we should realise that Jesus clearly doesn't have a problem with judging people for their behaviour. Um, we're getting towards the back end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and in the previous two chapters, we've seen Jesus stick the boot into people over a whole range of moral and ethical issues. He's been labelling people hypocrites for saying one thing and doing another. He's called out people for their anger, for the lust in their hearts. He's told us not to seek revenge, to be people who love our enemies. He's told us not to do our good works just to be seen by other people. It's not like Jesus has a problem calling people out for bad behaviour or even the hidden motives of the heart. But I think that's the very reason why he now gives us this warning about judging others. Because he knows what we're like. He understands how we tick. He knows that we're just as likely to take the things that he's been uh, telling us about here and use it to bash other people over the head with them rather than examine ourselves. See, as soon as we hear a command, our first inclination is to think of all those other people who really need to get their act together. And so Jesus is giving us a warning here, I think, against that kind of hypocritical judging, against that sort of reaction. And just like the hypocrites we saw from chapter 6 a couple of weeks ago, those hypocrites who fast, pray and give to the poor, Jesus says we can be hypocritical in the way we judge other people too. And so what Jesus, I think, is really talking about here is an attitude of heart, a, a judgmentalism within us, where you, you delight in finding fault in other people. And Jesus uses, well, this is perhaps my favourite illustration of his, to drive this point home. He says, this is the kind of person I'm talking about. It's the kind of person who would look for the tiniest speck in someone else's eye, all the while ignoring a, a great hunk of timber sticking out of their own. It's a wonderfully comic image in a way. A person sort of with a microscope out trying to find that speck of sawdust in someone else, or there's a, a branch growing out of their own. It's an obvious point, isn't it? Don't be that person. Don't be the kind of person that passes a, a microscope over others, looking for the smallest imperfections and errors, all the while happily ignoring the glaringly obvious problems and faults in your life. Now, Jesus is not saying that there's never a place for correcting each other. In fact, even in these verses, Jesus says there is a place for doing this, he says, after you've removed that hunk of wood from your own eye, then you'll see clearly, then you'll see, uh, be fit to remove that speck in someone else's eye. But like a lot of the things that Jesus says in this sermon, he wants our first priority not to be thinking about the other person, but to be an examination of ourselves and of our own hearts. So before you go looking around and thinking about, okay, I'll... I'll or deal with the chunk of wood in my own eye so I can go picking out specks in other people's, that's not really the point. He wants us to firstly be concerned with ourselves and our own relationship with God. That's got to be the priority. So before you go looking to find fault with others, have a look at yourself. Be concerned about getting your own life, your own attitude, your own motivations in order. Then you might be fit to correct someone else. 
But it is such a natural, delicious thing to do, isn't it? To judge others. It makes us feel good at certain levels. There's comfort in dwelling on the failings and the perceived failings of other people. You know, I may not be perfect, but I don't talk about other people like, you know. Did you hear what Gary did? Well, I'm not racist, but. Have you ever noticed how she's always talking about herself? I don't think they manage their money very well. I can't stand that guy. He's so judgmental. Jesus warns us here, with the measure you use, that's the measure God will apply to you. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? So how do we get that right? How do we avoid becoming judgmental without becoming at the same time people who just give approval to anything and everything, who end up calling what is evil good, where morality has no value at all? Well, it's never an easy thing, but I think Jesus gives us two really helpful principles in this passage. And the first one we've already been talking about, which is to examine our own hearts first, go after that log in our own eye first. And it's a really powerful and helpful principle to remember who we are before God, to remember that we are not perfect people, are we? In fact, that you only stand right before God because of the mercy that he's shown to you in Jesus. And when you recognise and reflect upon your need before God, that has to make you more inclined to deal with other people generously. Your judgment of others should be tempered with that humility, with that compassion that ought to come from your recognition of your need before God. When you keep in mind that you're only saved by the grace of your Father in heaven to you, that God has saved you from all of those planks of wood sticking out of your own eye, well, it'll give you pause. It'll make you more reluctant, I think, to go after the speck in other people's. But the other guiding principle I think Jesus gives us, you'll find there in verse 12. Uh, we heard it in our kids' talk. It's that rule. It's called the golden rule. Uh, does anyone know why it's called the golden rule? Come on. Someone will know. That was half a hand from Christy. Oh, it sums up the other commandments. That's true, but that's not why it's called the golden rule. It's, it's called the golden rule because there was a, a, a Roman emperor named Severus who apparently, and it's a little bit hard to verify this, apparently he had that particular command of Jesus put up in his palace wall in golden letters. Had the whole thing put up there, and that's where the, that's where the, the little tag comes from. But he wasn't wrong. Um, it's a, a wonderful principle and summary of uh, how we ought to approach obedience towards God and how we ought to treat other people. Then it goes like this. You know it well. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Such a simple idea, isn't it? Treat others how you would like to be treated. Put yourself in someone else's shoes. 
is the way that you're dealing with someone how you would like them to treat you. Such a simple idea, but how hard is that to live out? I know how often I hold others to a higher standard than I want to hold myself to. So often we expect less of ourselves than we demand of others. We're willing to cut ourselves so much more slack than we're prepared to offer to other people. I saw a definition of hypocrisy during the week that said this, a hypocrite is someone who conveniently forgets their own faults in order to point out someone else's. If you want to avoid being a hypocrite in how you treat others, in particularly in how you go about judging them, treat them the same way you would like to be treated. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't form judgments based on rumours and hearsay. Don't condemn other people for things that really are simply matters of preference or perhaps none of your business. If you're going to speak to someone about something in their life that you think needs correction, you think needs to be challenged, please make sure you're on some pretty solid ground. And make sure that your motivation is a loving one. That it's not about indulging your appetite for judging others, for bringing them down a peg, but that it's done out of love. That it's done with their best interests at heart. All right, well, in the next section, uh, Jesus takes us back to a topic that he's already had a bit to say about in this sermon already. He starts talking about prayer. Uh, he says, Ask, seek, and knock, and you'll be given, you'll find, and the door will be opened. It almost feels like during this sermon, Jesus has been trying to remove any obstacles or any excuses we might throw up about why we couldn't be bothered praying. So if you think, well, I, I don't know what to pray, well, back in chapter 6, Jesus has given us the Lord's Prayer as a, a model for the kinds of things we ought to be talking to God about. It's not the whole picture, not all that we can talk to God about, but it's a very good start. Or perhaps you think God is not interested or aware of what you're going through. Maybe he just doesn't care. Well, in chapter 6, verse 8, he's assured us that our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask him. And now here in chapter 7, Jesus wants to assure us of two more things. Firstly, that God is able to answer our prayers. And secondly, that he's going to answer them in the best possible way. So, maybe you wonder, does God have the ability to answer my prayers? Does he have that capacity? Well, ask, says Jesus. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now that might sound trite, but there's only one reason why you would pray to God. Because God has the power to answer prayer. He's the only one worth praying to because he's the only one who's actually in charge of this world. He's the only one who has the power to deliver on his promise to answer and respond to prayer. You pray to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So ask, says Jesus. But even if you are convinced that God is listening and has the ability to answer our prayers, perhaps you doubt whether or not God really knows what's best, whether his answer will be for your good. Jesus talks about that here as well. 
He says, you have a heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And he uses another almost comical image to reinforce that point for us. Have a look at, pick it up there in verse 9. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If imperfect, flawed parents can look after and love their children and provide what they need, why would you think your perfect heavenly father would want to do anything less than that? I was at a wedding reception a few years ago and uh, it was a bit of a strange reception meal. It was kind of a buffet-style thing and they had all the food out on these big tables right at the beginning of the evening. So the entrees, the mains and the dessert, they all had their own tables and it was all out there ready to go. Um, Now, that was kind of okay for the adults, but it was very bad news for people with small children. There was, I remember there was this three-year-old boy who just camped out in front of that dessert table and he would not budge all night, twisting his parents' arm to let him have cake for dinner. Children don't always know what's best for them, do they? That's their parents' responsibility. Baked cheesecake is a very good thing, but not for dinner. Well, not only for dinner. We need to recognise that in the things of this world and in this life, we are like children. So often we know what we want, or we think we know what is best, but it's not always the case that we are right. We have a heavenly father who sees the bigger picture, far better than we do. He sees a beginning from the end. His knowledge is complete and perfect. And he tells us that not only does he know these things, but that he wants what is best for us. He is a loving heavenly father. If even flawed parents like us know how to give their children what is good, how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to look after you? So we need to learn to trust God, to be people who ask and seek and knock, and then to be ready to receive whatever God decides is best for us. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus warned us about how not to pray. He said, don't babble on like pagans because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Jesus has warned us about not praying in order to be seen and heard by other people. But he doesn't want us to stop praying. Just the opposite. He wants us to be people who talk to God. And so he reminds us here that our Heavenly Father knows, that he cares, that he is listening, And he has the power to answer. And when he does, he'll give you what is good for you. Why wouldn't you want to pray to a God like that? So let's be people of prayer and to pray with confidence, to pray with trust in God, remembering that he knows best, wants what is best for us, and is able to answer any request.